grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You can learn a lot about the fullness of life from a grave. Or maybe I should put it this way. You can learn a lot about what somebody thinks is the fullness of life. Take, for example, King Tutankhamun, King Tut. The boy king died at the age of 17, and about 100 years ago, archaeologists finally unearthed his coffin. Now, his coffin was inlaid with pure gold, and his golden coffin was inside of a fully golden tomb. And that golden tomb was within another golden tomb, which was inside of yet another golden tomb. For those of you scoring at home, that's three golden tombs. And there was also golden chariots in there and various and sundry other golden jewels and all sorts of things. And why in the world would they waste all that gold on a dead guy? Well, because the Egyptians had this understanding of life and the fullness of life that all that you accrue, all of the possessions and things that you, that you get in this life, you can carry with, with you to the next life if you cling to them closely enough. If you bring them with you to your grave, they'll still be there. It's a good thing people in our world today don't believe that. Mm. We're going to talk this morning about the fullness of life. And it turns out that when it comes down to it, it's all about what you are clinging to. A couple of guys come to Jesus and they Ask him to divide their inheritance. And Jesus says, man, it's one of my favorite lines in the Gospels. You can't help but read it and to hear, man, who made me divide or arbitrator over you? But Jesus can read between the lines what they're really asking and what's really their heart is set on. It's covetousness. It's acquisitiveness. They're looking to see who's going to get the, the bigger part of the share. And so he tells this parable about a man. And we call it the parable of the rich fool, which kind of stacks the deck against the guy right off the get-go. But you read this story, and he doesn't sound like such a bad guy. You hear him, and here's a guy who has been successful in his work. The land produced plentifully, and he is a responsible, prudent, industrious guy. He's like your grandpa, but with a greater net wealth. And you say, well, what's, the, what's wrong with this guy? Why is he such a fool? What's his problem? Well, his problem isn't simply that he had lots of goods, that he had great possessions. We can fall off on that side and think, okay, so the answer is just don't have any stuff. Well, that's not the issue. I mean, these are good gifts from God. And the response ought to be gratitude, thanksgiving. But then here's where the, this guy goes wrong, see. His problem isn't simply that he has these goods and these possessions, but it's that he clings to them, finds his life and his security, his meaning in those possessions. He forgets to give thanks to God and instead elevates the possessions themselves. He says, soul, oh soul, you have ample goods laid up for you. He was actually like a Shakespearean actor, strange. <laughs> so eat, drink, be merry. He leaves out the end of that line from Scripture that he's alluding to, which ends, for tomorrow we die. See, he took a good thing, these good gifts of God, and he elevated them to an ultimate thing. That's a definition of idolatry. 
to take a good thing, like the possessions, the things that God blesses you with, and to elevate it to an ultimate thing, something from which you find and derive your security, your identity, and your meaning. In other words, something that you cling to for the fullness of life. But God tells him, fool, tonight your life will be required of you, and all of these possessions, things that you are clinging to, well, now whose will they be? You remember John Rockefeller, the great billionaire from the last century? Somebody asked his accountant after Rockefeller died, uh, so, so how much of his wealth did he leave behind? And Rockefeller's accountant thought about it for a second, and then he said, well, all of it. <laughs> all of it. Or an author by the name of Randy Alcorn puts it this way. He says, you never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul. If possessions are the thing that you're clinging to, they will leave you empty and unsatisfied all the way to the end. One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. But you can learn a lot about the fullness of life from a grave. I learned that lesson again recently. My family and I, we went up uh, for vacation up to the Boston area, and as part of that trip, we went over to Concord, Massachusetts. And Concord is famous for having several authors that lived there at one time, including one of my favorites, a guy by the name of Henry David Thoreau. You guys remember Henry David Thoreau? Author of Walden. We'll have copies for sale after, no. If you remember this from your high school English class, Thoreau is the guy who decided to leave civilized life and to go out and to live deliberately, he said, out at Walden Pond. So my family and I, we took a pilgrimage out to Walden and we visited the cemetery where Thoreau was buried. It's actually called Sleepy Hollow Cemetery. I kept looking for the guy with the pumpkin head, but uh, <laughs> didn't see him. But you had to look real hard to find Thoreau's grave because his tombstone was just this little thing. It was about a foot tall. And all it says on it is simply, Henry. That's it. But see, for Thoreau, this way of dying, his grave, reflected what for him was the fullness of life. His mantra that he repeated again and again and again was simply simplicity. I'll read for you just a little bit. He says, simplicity, simplicity, simplicity. I say, let your affairs be as two or three, and not a hundred or a thousand. Instead of a million, count half a dozen, and keep your accounts on your thumbnail. Hmm. He says, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, and see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. I did not wish to live what was not life, living is so dear. Nor did I wish to practice resignation unless it was quite necessary. I wanted to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life, to live so sturdily and Spartan-like, go green, uh, as to put to rout all that was not life, to cut a broad swath and shave close to drive life into a corner and reduce it to its lowest terms, and on and on, Mr. Thoreau goes. You get the point. For Thoreau, he recognizes that this life cannot, should not be wasted in simply clinging to all sorts of possessions, things that cannot, will not satisfy, that you cannot take with you to the grave anyway. 
And so Thoreau says the fullness of life is found not in clinging to stuff, but in letting it go, in clinging to nothing. And indeed, he lived that simple life all the way to the end. And I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, if Thoreau's message was important for Massachusetts in the 19th century, how much more is it important for 21st century America? Am I right? We are all so tempted to find the fullness of life in our possessions. And I don't just mean our stuff. I don't just mean the things that you can buy from the store or on Amazon. Even those intangible things, like your esteem, the esteem that's held by others for you, your reputation, the number of followers you have on Twitter or the number of friends you have on Facebook. All of these things are the possessions also that we look to find our life in. And Thoreau would say, let it all go. Life is not found in the abundance of possessions. Life for Thoreau is in simplicity, letting it go. I think we do well to listen to the prophet Thoreau on these matters. But still, I think that his message is insufficient. It's insufficient. I think he's right that we are wrong when we just try to cling to all of our possessions. But I think he's wrong when he says we shouldn't be clinging to anything. Because God has created us in such a way that the fullness of life is found not in holding nothing, not in clinging to nothing, but in clinging to Christ. And in Christ is found the fullness of life. You can learn a lot about the fullness of life from a grave including your grave. That's what Paul says in the epistle lesson that we heard this morning. He says, you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Already you have died. How could that be? Because in holy baptism, the Spirit put you to death and raised you to life, joined you to Christ, who is your life, Paul says. When Christ, who is your life, appears, you also shall appear with him in glory. Notice the tense of that verb, present tense. Not just who will be your life, though that's true, but who is your life now, today. He is the source of your life. He is the vine. You are the branches. Everything you have, everything you are, belongs to him and comes from him. We draw life from him. In and with him is the fullness of life. Living into that baptismal identity, recognizing that your, your sense of self, your identity and meaning do not come from the things of this world, from the things of earth, as Paul puts it, but instead we set our minds on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We cling to him and in him find the fullness of life. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Now, when we think about what does that look like, I'm going to give you an analogy that might sound mildly insulting, but bear with me. I think we need to live like weasels. Now, I've already done a little bit of book report here. We've got Thoreau right here. Another one of my favorite authors is a gal named Annie Dillard. Hmm. And Annie Dillard wrote a book of essays called Teaching a Stone to Talk. And in that, she writes a whole essay, a whole essay about weasels and the tenacity of weasels. She describes one weasel that socketed itself into a man's hand, and he could not shake the thing off. He had to go down to the water and try to scrub it off like a stubborn label <laughs> because it's so tenacious, that weasel. And she recounts another man who 
shot down an eagle. I don't think you can or should do that, okay? But this man shot down an eagle and was surprised to find when the eagle came down, attached to the eagle's throat, the skeleton of a weasel. And what they suppose happened is that this eagle at one time swooped down, thinking that it had an easy dinner, pouncing on a weasel. But when it did, the weasel quick swiveled around and grabbed it right on the throat. And then the eagle takes off, and the weasel just kept holding on. While the eagle probably was scraping at it with its pinions, having dinner slowly while the weasel kept holding. I apologize if I've now ruined the hymn on eagle's wings for you. (laughs) But this weasel was clinging for dear life. Weasels don't know how to do otherwise. And at the end of that essay... Annie Dillard, reflecting on that, writes this. She says, I think it would be well and proper and obedient and pure to grasp your one necessity and not to let him go. To dangle from him limp wherever he takes you. And then even death, where you are going no matter how you live, cannot you part. We need to live like weasels, y'all. Remember, a couple of weeks ago, if you've been uh, with the, the church's worship life, we heard Jesus say to Mary and Martha, only one thing is needful. Only one thing is necessary. Christ. Binding yourself to Christ. Clinging to Christ like an eagle, like a weasel to an eagle's side. That's how we live. That's the source of our life. All of the other things that we might cling to in this world, we let go because we know that they are only dragging us down in simple physics, Right? If we set our mind on things below and we cling and hold to them, they're going to pull us down. But if we set our mind on things above, where Christ is, if we hold fast to him and cling to him like weasels, then we are born aloft and he will carry you and me through to the life of the world to come. You don't have to worry about finding security in this life. You can let it go because Jesus already has that eternal life thing taken care of for you tell you one last guy who, who lived like a weasel. A man by the name of William Borden. And I started out by talking about King Tut. Well, if you were to go and visit the tomb of King Tut, and then take a left at Cairo, go down a few dusty Egyptian roads, you would find the small, nondescript gravestone of this guy, William Borden. Died at the age of 25. He was a graduate of Yale, and he was an heir to a great family fortune. He could have just kicked his feet up and said, eat, drink, and be merry. Soul, you have ample goods. It's all good. But instead, he gives it all away and moves to Egypt in order to be a missionary to the Muslim people. He brings the gospel to these people, not only who hadn't heard it, but who might even be oppositional or antagonistic to that message. He was so filled with that zeal of the Lord to bring the good news to those people. He lived for four more months. He contracted spinal meningitis and died, like I say, at the age of 25. And you might hear William Borden's story and say, what a waste. What a waste. What an empty life. He had so much going for him. Why would he give that all away? But I think that a weasel like William Borden stumbled upon the fullness of life. And his tombstone right down the road from King Tutankhamun reads this. Apart from faith in Christ, 
There is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Friends, my desire for me and for you is that that would be the message on our gravestone as well. That we would live as weasels, drawing our life from Christ, clinging to him every day of our lives. Even as we come to this altar and we cling to Christ's body and blood. So as we go from this place, each and every day, holding fast to Christ, the source of our life. The one who already went down through the grave and came out the other side. The one who is the resurrected and risen Lord who lives and reigns for now and forever. We cling to him, living like weasels, remembering that our Savior shall never die again. Which is why you can learn a lot about the fullness of life from a grave. Especially when it's an empty one. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand to sing.